You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 125. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. You'll find today's reading on page 485. If you don't own a Bible, please stop by the information table after the service. We'd like to give you one as a gift from Park Church. Again, we're reading from Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Deanna. Good morning. Hope you're well. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Good to see you all. I'm looking forward to diving into Psalm 125 with you. Uh, If you're new to Park Church, I want to say welcome to you. We're really glad you're here. We know summertime, people are moving to the city, a lot of changes that happen, and whatever's brought you, maybe it's something going on in your own life, I want to say welcome. Uh, right after the service, we have a meeting that's about 10 minutes that's designed for you. Back in the corner, it says new here. Uh, we take about 10 minutes to get to know you a little bit, but also help you find some ways to plug in to our church community. And so we'd love to help you find more ways to engage with us throughout the summer. Um, also, if you call Park Church your home, we want to continue to invite you to participate in the mission of God through Park Church. As a church family, we believe that God's mission is something that we all participate in. And some of the ways to engage that we have three kind of major ways we call our church family to engage in that together. One is by joining a team to serve this local church as we try to care for one another and grow as disciples of Jesus. Two is to financially support the mission of God through Park Church by giving generously, sacrificially, and joyfully to God's mission through the church family. And the third is to serve the city to love and serve your neighbors, to get involved in different groups. We have a website called Love5280, love5280.org. That profiles a lot of different organizations that are doing beautiful work in the city. There's also just a chance over the summertime, especially to get to know your neighbors and love and serve and pray for them. So I want to be a church that's paying attention to the needs of our neighbors and the needs of our city and serving people in those spaces. So I want to continue to encourage you to participate in God's mission in those ways. Uh, We have a chance this morning to look at a passage that is really an anthem for a community like ours, a community of people that are trying to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of a world full of complexities and opposition and challenges and hardship, but trying to be faithful. Uh, This psalm was written for uh, a community exactly like this, saying, God, we want to be faithful. We're trying to hold fast to you. But there's hardship. There's difficulty, and we need your help. And so I think uh, God wants to speak to us in some pretty, uh, I think, relevant ways for the moment we're in in culture. So I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would do it, not just generally, but the Holy Spirit would speak to each of you in particular. I've in particular been praying this week for those of you that are really wrestling with doubt, uh, really questioning a lot of things about Christianity or about the church, which makes sense. That's a normal part of the journey. 
but even there that you'd feel the presence of God, the love of God, the protection of God, and the care of God for you in those spaces. And so I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, draw near to all of us and open our hearts to hear his voice. Let's pray. God, we just sang over and over that you are good and that you are here. And I pray those realities would become not just real to us mentally, not just things we confess with our mouths, but that we would believe in the depths of our being, that you're good and that you're here. I confess that I struggle at many times uh, to believe those things, to hold fast to them, to have confidence in those realities, to live in light of those realities. And so I'm praying your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do, that you would awaken us to those realities today, that you are the God who made us, you are the God who reigns, that you are good and that you are with us even now. Would you speak in power uh, in comfort and in grace to bring conviction, to bring discipline, to bring encouragement, to bring refreshment to all of your children this morning. And for those that have never known you this morning, would you open their eyes to see your love, your pursuit of them, that you've orchestrated things in their lives to bring them to this moment where they would be confronted with your reality and that they'd see you as a God of love who sent your son to lay down your life for them as an expression of your love, to atone, to forgive, to wash, to cleanse, and to bring them home to be with you. And for those of us on the journey uh, that are wrestling and struggling, that are doubting and wandering, that are weary, uh, would you encourage, encourage your children this morning? Would you strengthen weak knees? For those who feel confidence today, that have come into this place with a sense of joy and freedom and lightness, uh, would you encourage them today? And would you help us to be a community that seeks to follow you faithfully, that walks with you with perseverance, with resilience, resisting the powers of this world that wage, wars against, wage war against our soul? and holding fast to your presence and your love and your care. So help us this morning, in Christ's name, amen. When I was in high school, I remember I had a project to interview somebody from a different generation. And my grandfather was living at the time and, uh, and had a chance to interview him. He lived a couple hours away from me. And uh, I remember sitting down with him. He was born in the 1920s. And uh, just sitting with him as a high school kid and hearing about his life, his story, his journey was transformative for me. Just transformative for me. Uh, this is uh, my grandfather, who I was actually named after. Uh, was a wonderful man, a warm-hearted man, a hard-working man, but he had, had a really just life full of challenges that many people in that generation did. He grew up around the Great Depression and faced all the difficulties of just finding food and getting food on the table for his family. He grew up through the Dust Bowls in the Midwest and some of the pain, just him sharing the difficulties and what they experienced in the Dust Bowls uh, that were happening in the Midwest and the difficulty that that created for several years around them. He fought in World War II and some of the challenges that that brought to him, to his family, coming back from World War II with some of the trauma that he faced. He lived on a farm, was a farmer, faced seasons of in intense drought, seasons where they lost all of their crops because of flooding. Uh, all of these things are just a part of his story. And I just remember hearing the story and, and seeing a man who had learned to face challenges. Somehow that hadn't crushed his spirit. It hadn't kind of decayed his presence, his joy, his hopefulness in life. Uh, he was just a man who had faced the hard things in life head on and not been crushed by them. And I admired that deeply. 
deeply. As I thought about his life even more, just thinking about the stability that he brought, especially after World War II, as he started a family, was married, had eight children, you know, farm families, like you have kids to help you work the farm, you know, like that's kind of what you need. Uh, Had eight children uh, and just tried to be a faithful dad, Uh, not a perfect father, tried to be a faithful husband, not a perfect husband. But I hear his story, and, and he did the same basic stuff every day for decades. He was married to the same woman for decades, was trying to be a faithful father for decades, was involved in the same little local rural church for decades, just decades of stability, decades of wake up, do the same thing, hardship, face it, go to bed. Wake up, do the hard, hard things, face it, go to bed. Wake up, do the hard things, face it, go to bed. Decades of it. Decades of it. And I just admire that. I think for a lot of kind of people in previous generations, the idea of doing the same thing day in and day out was not seen the way that we see it. We have a hard time persevering in anything for any amount of time. And culturally, we're getting to a place where persevering in anything, any kind of work, any kind of day in, day out hardship is something that we are very reluctant to. We find quick ways to hit eject buttons, to find a quick escape hatch every time things get difficult. So whether that's a marriage that's getting difficult, whether that's a job that's getting difficult, whether that's a community that's getting difficult, whether that's a church that's getting difficult, whether that's a certain living in a certain part of town, that when things get difficult, we find some way to hit an eject button. Now, there are certainly scenarios and seasons where removing yourself from hard situations is healthy and right. I want to say that really clearly. There are certainly situations where removing yourself from hard situations when you have the opportunity to do that is healthy and right. But generally speaking, as a generation, as a culture, we struggle generally with perseverance, with sticking with something through difficulties. Here's a dictionary definition of the word perseverance. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. It's persistence. It's the ability to stay in hard things, knowing that hard things have a way of shaping, of molding, of growing us. In fact, it is through the hard things, it's in facing the hard things. Almost any psychologist would say that it's in the facing the hard things that we grow. When you find yourself overwhelmed by hardship in a relationship or in a workplace or in a community or in a specific scenario, it's by staying in it and facing it with honesty that we actually grow as human beings. It's the way we grow. It's not just psychologists that will say it. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith produces endurance. It produces perseverance. It produces this perseverance that over time has the ability to mature you, to strengthen you, to stabilize you as a human being. And so I find just, again, generally speaking, and I'm not trying to speak to every scenario, but generally speaking, we are a community and a culture and a generation that when we face hard things, we hit the eject button and we actually remove ourselves from the opportunity to be matured by and to grow through challenges and difficulties. And the, and the difficulty about that, when I think about that reality, is the Christian life requires perseverance. It requires it. In the pursuit of following Jesus, you face challenges and difficulties that are a threat to your soul day in and day out. If God is real, if Jesus is the Son of God, if the resurrection happened, if you believe that those things are true, you're saying you believe in this kind of like biblical worldview, then you also must embrace the reality that there are 
there's opposition and resistance to your faith. The same Bible that tells us about the resurrection of Jesus is the Bible that teaches us that there are things that are waging war against our faith in Christ, that are waging war against our souls. And as we face those things, there's hardships and challenges. And when we eject from the hardships and the challenges, we find ourselves moving away from the things that God wants to grow in us and teach us that the spiritual life or Christian growth or spiritual formation requires perseverance. And Psalm 125 is an anthem for those who want to persevere in faith in Christ. Psalm 125 is an anthem for those who want to persevere in faith in Christ. Now, I recognize I'm preaching to the choir, like literally right now, I'm preaching. I say literally, yeah, you sang, so you're the choir. Um, Yeah, I'm preaching to the choir right now because you're here. Like, you're here because you want to be. You're here because you're leaning in. You could be doing other things today. We've talked about that. There's a lot of things you could be doing in Denver. And it's not even that cool in this room. You're not even escaping the heat that much. You know, there are cooler places to be on this 100-degree day. Uh, I was talking to people sitting by the windows. It's like, bad decision today. (laughs) You're just going to feel it. Your your face is going to warm up. You're going to get a little sun sun on your face. That'll be great. Just kind of, if I see you looking the other way, just to kind of even out that sun, I'll understand. Um, There are other things to do, but you're here, right? And so I recognize that. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. What's interesting to me is that this psalm isn't a psalm of like conviction. It's not challenge people. It's a psalm of confidence. There are psalms of distress. Even in the songs of ascent, there are psalms of distress like mayday, mayday, God, we need you. God, we we need your help. And this song has a a prayer for help, but it's largely a psalm of confidence. It's a a psalm for people that are saying, hey, we're facing hardship, but we're seeking to trust you. We're trying to trust you. And even the stuff that brings conviction is stated with a sense of even the hardship is not forever. And do good to us as we seek to be faithful and righteous before you. And I, and I realize that. And I think this psalm is a psalm that can be a sort of an anthem for us. And my prayer is that this morning you would feel, for those that are holding fast to faith in Christ, encouraged. Not just in your perseverance, but in God's faithfulness to you. And for those that are weary and feeling like you're wandering and feeling like your faith is fickle and you're struggling with doubt and you feel beat down and discouraged, you've got cynicism creeping in. My prayer is that you would know that God sees you there and that even in your wandering, he holds fast to you. He loves you, that he's a God. Even when we struggle to hold fast to him, he holds fast to us. And that would give a sense of freedom and joy this morning. I want you to see what's going on in the psalm. Let's look at Psalm 125. We're going to kind of unpack this in largely two, two parts and then kind of bring it to us today. Uh, and look with me, Psalm 125, verse 1. It's a song of ascent. So remember where we're at all summer. If you're new to Park Church, we are in the middle of a kind of long series we are, you know, 120 plus, 100 and, I don't know, what it would be now, like 28 sermons into a series through the Psalms every summer. This summer, we're looking at these songs of ascent, which was, in essence, a playlist given to the people of Israel that they would sing these songs as they traveled from their different tribal lands, allotted lands, to make their way to Jerusalem three times a year for what they called pilgrimage feasts. So three times a year, you'd pack up your stuff, you'd leave your, uh, kind of like your land, and you'd go with your family, and you'd make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem where you'd worship with the people of God for roughly a week, celebrating the presence of God, celebrating the redemption that God brings, celebrating his provision, his protection, his care. And this song, these 15 songs from Psalm 120 to 134 would be the playlist that they would sing. So this particular song is is part of that playlist as people are traveling and traversing through this kind of pretty rugged terrain and they make their way over this last kind of mount of hills and they'd go into these final valleys before they came up to 
Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, to the holy city, to the city of David. And when they were there, as they would look around, they would see that this holy city is on a mountain, but it's surrounded by even bigger mountains. That the sort of geography, the topography of the area surrounding them makes them see a sort of fortress mentality. And as they would look around, they'd feel the kind of geographical and topographical protection that this city affords, the city of Jerusalem. They'd feel a safety there. And as they're reflecting on the safety that happens and is found when you come into the presence of God, they're reflecting on that. They would see that not just as a kind of geographical reality, not just as a sort of military reality, but they would see it as also a symbol of the kind of protection that God brings. Look with me, Psalm 125, verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Mount Zion being the holy city, Jerusalem with the temple there, this place that radiates and signifies God's presence with his people. So those who trust in him are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. What they're saying is for those who trust in the Lord, this experience that we have that we can see visibly in the metaphor of the land around us, we realize that it's not just the presence in Jerusalem that brings safety. It's actually trusting in the God of Jerusalem. It's trusting in the God whose presence is signified by this temple. It's entrusting him. It's not in this geographic location. It's not in this specific spot. It's not actually the topography. That topography itself is a symbol, a metaphor of the protection that God gives to those who abide in his presence, who trust in him, who walk with him. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning that I I hope we can actually find some sense of joy in is that the Lord is a fortress for those who trust in him. He's a fortress for those who trust in him. There are all sorts of psalms that talk about God as a refuge, God as a fortress, God as a protector. That those who put their faith in God experience in him a a constant sense of protection. Protection from what? It's hard because in this specific psalm, you almost get this feeling that they, they think that their presence in Jerusalem is like surrounded by these mountains and it means they're impenetrable and nobody can ever kind of like come and attack them and nobody will ever breach their walls. But the people singing this had experienced that experience of being conquered by foreign powers. They'd experienced armies that had come in over those mountains. They'd experienced armies who had torn down their walls. They'd experienced global superpowers who had destroyed their temple, who had exiled, who had beaten, plundered, pillaged them again and again. In fact, from the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Seleucids, and then the Romans, the whole Bible story is a story, even if you go before that, the Egyptians of the people of God being surrounded being attacked, going through hardship and difficulty. But they found even then that the presence of God and the care of God and the faithfulness of God is something that they could have confidence in, that they could have confidence in it. I want you to put yourself in the mind of of the people singing this song. They've maybe experienced, maybe it was their grandparents who had experienced exile to Babylon for 70 years. Babylon had destroyed their temple, had brought them into exile. They're away from their land. They finally have made their way back to their land. They're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the city walls. They're rebuilding their life in Jerusalem. And many of them would live in different tribes around, outside of Jerusalem. And they come back in for these pilgrimage feasts and they're remembering the pain. They're remembering the difficulty. You know what they're also remembering? Their land is still under the oppression of different global superpowers. 
As the global superpowers in the Middle East changed, you can read about it in your basic history books, their oppressors would change. But Israel was always under the thumb of oppressive forces, always. There's always hardship around them. There's always difficulty. There's always this threat that they would be destroyed, that their land would be taken, that they'd be beaten on a journey from their town to Jerusalem, that they would come across a Roman soldier or a Greek soldier or a Persian soldier and do something horrible to their family or steal their goods. Or while they're gone, if they, if they crossed somebody in the wrong way, their fields would be burned. Or if they made any statements that sounded anything like resurrection, the Romans would crucify them as they did many, 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 many people that they lose their jobs, they have their taxes, be oppressed through taxes. Like, they just lived in a world that was full of hardship. And those are the people singing this song. That those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, surrounded by these mountains. The Lord surrounds us and protects us. That even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of pain, the Lord provides protection. He provides grace. And how could they believe that? Because they had seen through Generation after generation after generation, even when they failed, even when they faltered, even when they turned away, the Lord never faltered. The Lord was always faithful, always faithful to redeem, always faithful to restore, always faithful to forgive, always faithful to show mercy to his people when they returned to him. It's like when we trust in the Lord, his care, his presence, his faithfulness, his grace, his promise, his power, the things he does, the way he takes care of us and provides for us, when we trust in the Lord, there's a sense of God's protection and care that's real. That's real. That doesn't mean if you trust in the Lord, everything goes great all the time. It means even in the midst of the calamities, in the midst of the hardship, there's a sense of confidence that God is good. God is with us. God is growing us. God is maturing us. God is providing for us. And he will not ultimately fail. The Lord is a fortress for those who trust in him. But the reality is it's hard. And it's hard for them as well. Look with me at verse 3. It says, for the scepter of wickedness, and that's just a a metaphor for this this oppressive power, these oppressive powers, these kings, whether it be Xerxes or Alexander the Great or, again, the Seleucids or the emperor of Rome, whatever that oppressive power might be, the scepter of wickedness shall not rest. The idea there is shall not abide forever on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Here's the image. There are these powers that have always been pressing against us, always been pushing against us as a people. And when they're pushing against us, they're tempting us, they're calling us to worship their gods, to compromise, to turn away from faith in Yahweh, to turn away from faith in our God, to worship their gods, to participate in their systems, to operate by their values instead of operating by the wisdom that God has given us. And so they're surrounded by these cultural pressures to turn, and people would, in the face of those pressures, would turn and would fall away again and again and again. Many people did it. In fact, the kind of early followers of Jesus, when you think about like Matthew the tax collector, it's a sort of like perfect example of somebody who had said, instead of trusting in God and God's provision and God's care. I'm going to saddle up with the Romans. I'm going to benefit from their oppressive policies against the people of God and turned away. See God's redeeming love to welcome somebody like Matthew into his close group of disciples. It's powerful, right? But these ideas that the people were tempted to say to bow to the gods of the Babylonians, to bow to the gods of the Greeks, and they were treated as if they were crazy. They were treated as if they were backwards. To believe in only one God and to believe he is the God of the universe Seen as crazy. Seen as crazy. And so all these other powers would come in and they'd set up their temples and set up their idols, even in the land of Jerusalem. And the promise here is that this will not last forever. So the second thing I want us to see is that the pressure is real, but it won't last forever. 
The pressure is real, but it won't last forever. They were faced with daily pressure to turn away from God. Daily pressure. And you are too. Daily pressure. When I think about Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where it talks about just the reality of the cultural air in which we live, and here's what Paul says. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Saying all of us are kind of coming into this life, turning away from God, feeling separation from him. But listen to what he says. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air which is a way to refer to these spiritual powers of darkness. Following the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying you live in a world that is tempting you to turn away in disobedience, away from the presence of God, and there are spiritual powers at play that are keeping you following the prince of this world following the spirit of the age, the spirit of the, of the air, following these, these powers in the world itself, which is telling us, just follow your heart, follow your desires, follow your passions. Do what you want. It's your life. Run and go do it. Seek pleasure however you want it. Do whatever you want with your body. Do whatever you want with your money. Do whatever you want with your neighbors. Do whatever you want with your family. It's whatever you want. You are the king or the queen of your own domain. It's yours. That Philosophy is a spirit in the air that is influencing people all around us and inside of us, and it's a constant pressure. It's a pressure. It's a pressure that's against you right now. You will walk out today, and you'll go back into a world that's telling you to walk away from the reign of Jesus, his authority, his wisdom, his love, his presence. And it's not these kind of overt, like, and there are overt kind of opposition, but a lot of it's just a subtle sense of everybody else is doing it. Like nobody else puts Jesus at the center of their days. Nobody else seeks to forgive and show grace when they've been wronged and hurt. Nobody else seems to live their life thinking about how do I serve and bless others. Everybody else seems to be living about what's in it for me and how do I make my next move for me, for me, for me. Everybody else is doing it. Nobody else finds rest by drawing near to God's presence. Everybody else finds rest by unwinding and kind of going into this kind of drug here and I can use this substance here and I can just binge on TV here. I can kind of medicate with just social media kind of things here. I can just play this or I can just seek the next thing here and I can live for my career. That's what everybody else is doing. And we find ourselves drifting away from the presence of God and the reign of God and we have been kind of influenced by these cultural pressures. And it's all around you. It's all around me. It's a daily pressure. And you're here today. Why? Because there's something in you that says, I don't want to go that way. Like, I want to trust Jesus. I want to draw near to Jesus. I want to trust Jesus with his people. But it's hard. Isn't it hard? Am I the only one for whom it's hard? It's hard. What I want to do at the end of most days is like have a drink and watch TV for a long time. Anybody else? Is it wrong to have a drink and watch TV? Right, these are the things we do. Well, no, it's not wrong. Is it inherently bad? No, it's not bad. But like, what am I, what am I doing, right? Like, as I think about joy and life and restoration and following the course of this world, following these things that numb my heart, that kind of 
desensitize my senses, that bring not rejuvenation and refreshment and life and restoration to my soul, but just keep kind of squeezing life out of my soul that leave me depleted and more tired and more weary, less hopeful, less close to God's presence, his nearness. These pressures are all around us, and it's hard. It's hard. It leads a lot of people towards difficulty. These are pressures and temptations. There's also just the pressure of suffering and pain, hardship, challenges. It's hard to believe God's good when you face hard things over and over and over again. It's hard to believe that God's good when you pray and ask God to meet you in certain ways and it doesn't seem like he's hearing. It doesn't seem like he's answering. He's not doing what you would expect or what you desire, what you think God ought to do. It's hard. It's hard. And so you start thinking like maybe he's not there. Maybe he's not real. It's hard to stay connected to church when church is hard. Church has always been hard. These past couple years have been, been hard for our church family. We've walked through hard things. All churches walked through hard things with the pandemic, the political divisions, some of the hard stuff we walked through last year with the merger. That's hard. It's really hard. And at some point, it's really easy to say, I'm, I'm still kind of for Jesus. I'm just not for his people and the church anymore. And we kind of start walking away, and you walk out and kind of, kind of enter into a, a life following Jesus on your own which again, over and over in the Bible say you're putting yourself in a position where you are, you are in a vulnerable, vulnerable space. It's not the first time church has been hard. Church has always been hard because it's full of people like me and like you that struggle to stay faithful to Jesus in the face of hard moments and hard things. All these pressures, just the temptations of this world, the suffering and the pain, the hardship within the church, our own doubts and our own kind of process of deconstruction and questioning things that we grew up in, some of which is appropriate and healthy, but puts us in a hard spot and we find ourselves getting cynical and frustrated and feeling superior, like we've transcended and gone above all of the people that we used to be around that are, you know, those conservative Christians that are still trying to read their Bible every day and be faithful to Jesus and going to church all the time. Like, you know, I've grown past that. I've transcended that. Right, this is the life. This is the course of this world, and we're in this tension point. And these people in the psalm are saying, God, we're trying, okay? Like, we're trying, we're trying, and trying, and they're holding on to this promise that the pressure is real, but it will not last forever. It's not forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not abide. It shall not stay. It shall not be forever. The battle is not forever. And so what do you do when you're feeling that tension, that pull? Look what they do, verse 4. So they pray, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. It's not saying, hey, we're perfect. It's saying, we're, we're trying to be faithful. We're trying to stick with you. We just need a little help. We need a little help. We just need some help. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's hard. My friends think I'm crazy. My family thinks I'm crazy. My neighbors think I'm crazy. I sometimes think I'm crazy. Sometimes I'm like, is this real? Have I just been playing a game my whole life? And I'm feeling that, but I, but I know I've met you. You've, you've met me. You've provided for me and cared for me and forgiven me and, and spoken to me and loved me and healed me in so many ways, but it's hard. I need help. Do good, oh Lord, to those who do good. We need you. We know this isn't going to last forever, but right now on this journey in the midst of the hardship, we need you. We need you. And they turn to him. When you feel the pressure, turn to him. When we offer prayer in the gallery, get prayer in the gallery if you're struggling. When you go to your small group and you're struggling and you're deconstructing and you're walking through it, instead of piecing out on your small group, lean in and say, hey, I'm, I'm asking some questions that feels important for me to ask them, but I need people praying for me because I don't want the enemy to pick me off. I just, Will you pray for me as I ask some hard questions? Will you pray for me? And maybe somebody in your group has asked those hard questions. They can be with you and be care, caring for you and walking with you. 
But we lean in. We lean into God's presence. We lean in to trust. It doesn't say the Lord protects those who follow him perfectly. It doesn't say the Lord protects those who never doubt. It doesn't say the Lord protects those who do all the right things all the time. It says the Lord protects. He's a shelter for those who turn to him, who trust him, who hold on to him. And not everybody does. Not everybody perseveres. Not everybody perseveres. Like the seed that's sown on different soils, some of it is picked off by the enemy right away. Like a sower that's sowing out the gospel and the word of God onto all of these places, liberally sowing it out. And some of it falls on this thorny path. Jesus speaks about this, and it's like Satan comes and snatches it up, never gets root. Some of it falls on some ground that's dry, it's brittle, and it, and it grows up within the sun and the suffering of the world and the challenges and the pain scorch it and it shrivels up and it dies. Some of it grows and it goes in the soil and it grows up, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the things that the world promises you, all the things that the world can give you if you go the way of the world are like thorns that come up around the plant and choke it out. Just choke it out and it dies and it doesn't last. But some, some lands on soil and some lands on soil that's fertile, that's repentant, that's hopeful, that's turning in God, trusting in God, and it grows, and it bears fruit. And that fruit bears fruit, and that fruit bears fruit, and that fruit bears fruit. And that's what's happened for 2,000 years in the church, is the gospel has landed on some that fall away and some that persevere. And these parables, these passages are given to us to be a community that says we're going to hold fast to him together. We're going to watch out for the temptations of this world. We're going to watch out for the deceitfulness of riches. We're going to lean in when we feel suffering and we're questioning and doubting. We're going to lean in when we feel frustration and pain because we want to be those who persevere. We don't want to be those who peace out on Jesus and his people. We just don't want to be. And I'm preaching to the choir. But it takes effort. It takes energy. But what it takes most of all is it takes trust. It takes trust. Look at what it says here. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This final proclamation, this desire for peace. It says, those who turn aside to their crooked ways. I want to show you something in Romans chapter 3 that I think is just wild when I think about this passage. I just couldn't get it out of my head. Remember, he's saying, do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will deliver with evildoers. In other words, there's death and destruction. Romans 3 says this. This is Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Like, wait, Lord, do good. And as we're trying and we're doing good and, and the evildoers will go away and they'll go to destruction. And what Paul says is, you know what? All of us are fickle in our faith. All of us fall away. All of us, the Bible word is sin. All of us turn aside. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because what Paul says is as he looks at this reality that all of us have turned away, he says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that means declared righteous before God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
That the beauty of the gospel is even where we feel the fickle faith of our own hearts, even when we find ourselves among those who have turned away, who have turned aside, have run away from God, that our standing before God, our acceptance by God, God's love for us and commitment to us is not contingent on our obedience or lack of obedience, but it's a gift of God's grace for all who believe. It's a gift of God's grace for all who believe. Maybe you've been wondering, maybe you've seen things in your life like, man, I don't know if God could ever accept me. I'm not strong, I haven't persevered, I run away from hard things every time. Every time stuff gets difficult. I pop to a different community, I pop to a different church, I pop to a different relationship, I pop to a different job. I run away all the time from the hard things and the difficulty. How could God ever love me? Because Jesus came into this world to redeem, to wash, to forgive, to cleanse to transform, to justify, to declare righteous, all who would turn to him in faith. All who would turn, the idea is repenting, that we turn back to God and say, God, I'm here and I have turned aside. I've fallen away, I've sinned. And I need your grace, I need your mercy. It's why every Sunday we confess our sins. We confess, yeah, we, we, we wanna be people that are like singing these anthems of perseverance, these anthems of resilient faith, but the reality is in the day-to-day warp and woof of our life, we all turn away. So we come back in these moments on Sunday and also throughout the week as we confess our sins to God and say, here I am again. I need mercy and grace. And he gives it again and again and again. Because at the end of the day, your confidence, your security is not how tightly you will hold on to God. It's how tightly God holds on to you. He loves you. Even in your sin, he sent his son Jesus to pursue you to lay down his life for you, to forgive you, to wash you, to cleanse you as an expression of his love for us even while we are sinners. And if God didn't withhold his own son from us, how would he also not with him graciously give us all things? That's why for those that are in Christ, for those who have put trust in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's joy. You don't have to be afraid. The threats are real. The pressure's real. The pain is real. But God has you. God loves you. God protects you. He pursues you, and even when you're faithless, he remains faithful. It's just who he is, and that's something to sing about. That's like an anthem that we could sing. I'm not somebody who perseveres perfectly. I struggle a lot. God is so persevering in his love for me, and we can sing about that. Let's pray together. Jesus, we right now pray you give incredible confidence and hope and joy uh, to your people that you see us, that you protect us, you guide us, you guard us, even in the face of our own failures, even in the face of death itself. You have come into this world to conquer death, that death isn't the end of the story, that failure isn't the end of the story, that pain and suffering isn't the end of the story, that our sin and our tears aren't the end of the story. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness is the constant. Your love never fails, never gives up and never runs out on me. Never does. And when we struggle to hold on to you, God, would you remind us that you hold on to us? For those that are struggling with doubt, discouragement, questions, would you encourage them? I'm holding on to you. And help us to be a community that shows that sort of grace and kindness and care and support for one another in each of our journeys. And we thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.